Hello and welcome to the PSA HQ podcast channel. I'm Mel, your podcast host. This is the first podcast in a special series where I'm helping to share some really important psoriatic arthritis research news with you. The term for this being dissemination. I've invited three guests to come and give us some background on a project that directly relates to and will help to influence the future of psoriatic arthritis research called the James Lind Alliance Priority Setting Partnership. My guests include Susanna Kinsella, a James Lind Alliance advisor, Dr Laura Coates, a consultant rheumatologist at the University of Oxford, and Louise Haley, a research assistant in psoriatic arthritis also at the University of Oxford. We will hear how the James Lind Alliance, a charitable organisation who organise and guide the priority setting projects, which are often called PSPs for short and not to be confused with PSA, as a way of bringing lots of healthcare professionals, researchers and patients together around a table to discuss and decide on what themes and objectives research should focus on. As you can imagine, there's plenty for a team like this to consider before they can come up with a top 10 list for researchers to refer to and use as a steer for future projects. This kind of initiative can help to guide research towards the most important issues and things that need exploring or clarifying. And I think everyone will agree, that's a very good thing. I'd like to thank my guests, Susanna, Louise and Laura, for coming on to the show to give us the background on the PSP, for explaining their roles, the process, how the project team have worked together over the last couple of years to identify and choose the top 10 research priorities for psoriatic arthritis. You can find the full list of those priorities on the website links in my show notes. So let's dive on in. Good morning, Louise, Susanna and Laura. It's really nice to see you. Hi, Mel. Hello. Morning. Thanks for joining me. I think it would be really nice if we started off with some general introductions that you can sort of do yourself better than I can. So maybe, Susanna, could we start with you? Okay, so I am a James Lind Alliance uh, advisor. I'll talk a little bit uh, later on about what that role meant uh, in terms of this priority setting partnership. But my background is not clinical. I'm, I'm not a medic. My background is social research. So uh, when I'm not doing James Lind Alliance work, I do work on public dialogue and ensuring the views of public and stakeholders are involved in policy and, and so forth. So that's my background, and I joined the JLA about three years ago, um, and, and psoriatic arthritis was, I think, one of my second or third PSP that I worked on, so quite early in the process, but but a really, a really lovely one to get involved with. So that's me. Um, perhaps, Laura, you could give us a little bit of background? Yeah, so I'm a consultant rheumatologist at the University of Oxford. Um, my specialist interest is in psoriatic arthritis. And I also chair a UK-based research group called BritPact, the British Psoriatic Arthritis Consortium. Um, and we came up with the idea of proposing a priority setting partnership in psoriatic arthritis and then worked with the James Lind Alliance to make that happen. And you've been on a podcast with me before, haven't you? So it's nice to have you back. Yeah. Thank you. And Louise, would you like to do a little intro, please? 
Yeah, thanks, Mel. So my name's Louise, and I work as a research assistant in psoriatic arthritis with Laura. Um, and I've been working with Laura now since March 2020. So when, when I started this project, prior to working as a research assistant, I was a full-time physiotherapist in the NHS for over 25 years. So it was a, a nice change to, to work as a researcher. Um, I'm also part of the BRICPAC committee that Laura mentioned. So after being involved with this project, it, it motivated me to join BRICPAC. So thanks, thanks for having me today. Brilliant. Well, thank you all for, for being here. Um, so I think we probably better drill a bit deeper into what the PSP is and why it's important and the kinds of projects maybe that's already been done. Susanna, perhaps you could uh, give us a bit of background on that. Yeah, I mean, should we start by saying who the heck James Lind is in, in the first place? Yeah. Because when I applied for the role of the James Lind Alliance advisor, I will confess I had never heard of him. Um, but he's an important guy. He was a uh, Scottish naval surgeon in the 1700s, and he was quite young. He was in his um, early 30s when he decided to find out why the biggest killer of all sailors was scurvy so and how you could sort that out so he is his claim to fame i guess is that he did the first randomized control trial uh, in that's noted in history for years and years people had known that that limes and lemons and citrus fruits are good for you but they hadn't really correlated that between uh, scurvy and and that solution so he did the first trial he got some people to drink vinegar some people drunk cider some people ate horseradish, uh, but the lucky guys had um, had lemons and limes, and they uh, restored to health very quickly and and went on to help other sailors with with the condition. So that's his his claim to fame, and that's why uh, the organisation is called after after him. Um, but what I guess what is what are PSPs and why were they set up? So priority setting partnerships. And the whole JLA movement was set up to address what was seen as a, as a real imbalance in the way that research uh, priorities are decided. It was very much, and still is seen to be very much dominated by pharmaceutical companies, tech companies, uh, researchers, and the voices of clinicians and um, patients themselves and the public weren't seen to have the volume and, and presence that they really should have. And so the process was set up to give a voice to clinicians and patients in the setting of, of research priorities. And that continues to be the raison d'etre today. OK, yes, it's really important. I mean, this is why a lot of patients get involved in research now, isn't it? Because they want to make sure that anything that's getting done and any new medications that are getting developed are actually what they need. So yeah. it's a really important thing. Yeah, very much. So the kinds of areas that the JLA has explored, there have been over 100 PSPs uh, in the past 15 years, um, and they really range. So they uh, range from very specific uh, areas uh, and conditions to really broad. And they also cover um, not only conditions, but also sectors of, of health and care. So for example, there have been PSPs on uh, community nursing, on adult social care so it's not just about conditions but also about settings and and okay. where health and care is carried out as well so there's a real broad range of priority setting partnerships 
Right. Okay. I think the one that I'd heard about was the psoriasis. You did one on psoriasis, didn't you? Yes. So that predated the psoriatic arthritis mm. um, PSP. And, and that's quite often a pattern with, with the JLA that you'll have one area that is uh, goes through the process and that then inspires other related areas to, to happen as well. And I think this the psoriatic arthritis one is a, is a classic example of that. Yes, because they're both linked, aren't they? And most of the people listening to this will probably be familiar with both, unfortunately. Yes. So how, how is James Lynn funded? How does, how does it work as an organisation? Is it sponsorships or...? So it's, it's funded in two ways. There, there is a, a small um, but expert core of staff at the James Lynn Alliance. It's only about four or five people. And they are funded by the National Institute for Health Research, the NIHR. Mm-hmm. Um, however, each individual priority setting partnership is funded by the sponsor organization. And that could be a professional uh, organization um, or it could be a charity. Uh, so it's funded uh, by a range of different different entities, if you like. Um, but the, that usually that funding uh, is independent of the NIHR or government. It's, it's, it comes from a number of different routes. Yeah, so for this PSP, it was funded by um, BritPact as an organisation, uh, and then we partnered with uh, PAPA, the Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis Alliance, and the Psoriasis Association, as well as a number of other partners, um, to try and reach out to as many people as we could. Okay, so, Lord, do you want to expand on BritPact's role within this? Yeah, so um, it was something that I brought to the BritPact steering committee as an idea, um, and had initially heard of the James Lynn process actually through some of the orthopaedic ones um, that colleagues in Oxford had been involved in. Uh, and so my head of department had mentioned it as a, a really good way of moving the field forward and looking at unmet needs in a particular disease area. So I'd brought it initially to the steering committee as an idea. And then when I was trying to work out how on earth to start <laughs> and kind of figure out the process, um, I discovered that they had, well, were still in the process of running the psoriasis PSP. Uh, so I reached out to the lady uh, who was running that, so a dermatologist uh, from Manchester, uh, and she said, actually, we're about to have our final meeting, the kind of big final workshop uh, where we decide on the top 10. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, she'd been looking for a rheumatology rep to come along and get involved uh, to kind of talk about the arthritis side of things uh, and had not managed to find anybody who wanted to come. Um, so it was it was perfect timing. Uh, so I got to come along to that kind of final workshop in the psoriasis one and then report back to BritPact about what we'd done and, and what we'd found. And so we made a decision as a BritPact committee that that was something we wanted to do uh, to take the field forward in the UK uh, and to try and promote research uh, in the right questions that made sense to patients so a kind of perfect timing and, and a really good collaboration yeah absolutely Purpose. yeah that's good so Louise how did you get involved so I as I said earlier I, I, I started working with Laura in March 2020 and I'd been interested in becoming a clinical academic and doing more research for for a number of years and I was fortunate enough to see a, a job advert that had been placed by Laura to work as her research assistant and one of the the jobs that that involved was working on the James Lind Alliance project for psoriatic arthritis and 
I felt really lucky because I'd always been inspired by the work of the, the JLA and had always wanted to be involved. So the fact there was a really great job being advertised on a really great project, it seemed too good to be true. And I was lucky enough to be interviewed and um, taken in as part of the team. So working on the PSP, my role, I kind of had two roles. Um, the main one was to coordinate the day-to-day -day running of the project. And it may be that Susanna or Laura in a moment or just say exactly when it started because when I started in March some of the work had already been done and certainly the steering committee was formed and running so I kind of joined and got to know everyone as, as, as I joined we'd hit the pandemic so we were all working from home so I met everyone online and that was how I got to know people so yeah throughout throughout start to finish and even ongoing now I'm, I'm kind of coordinating what's going on and trying to spread the word of what, what we've been doing and the results that we've got. The other part of my role when we were running the PSP was to be the, um, the, the person who collated all the scientific evidence to, to decide if, if the questions that were being asked by people who were involved with the process so that the patients and the healthcare professionals and the carers, the questions that they wanted answering, did we already know the answer to them? So a, quite a big chunk of my work in the middle was doing what we call evidence checking. Um, and I can perhaps talk about that a little bit more later if you want me to. Yeah, that would be really good. So you say it started pre-pandemic and then you went into the pandemic. How has that worked for, for you guys, Laura and Susanna? Yeah, it was interesting. So uh, obviously when we started this, everything was face-to-face -face and, and life was normal. Um, and we had our very first meeting face-to-face -face, um, down in London um, around the end of 2019. Um, and then we were just in the process of developing the first survey and getting things moving uh, and appointing Louise. Uh, and then obviously the pandemic hit. And so it was very much as we were about to launch that first survey. And so we ended up delaying things a little bit, um, partly because obviously the clinicians who were involved in the project were being pulled back to help with more general medical cover and, and mm. being pulled away from research. Um, and we were also a little bit worried that if we ran the survey, we would get hundreds of questions about COVID uh, rather than questions about psoriatic arthritis. So we delayed a little bit. Uh, and in fact, we kind of did a, a trial run um, to see if we sent it out to a few patients, whether they would just send COVID questions or whether they would send psoriatic arthritis questions. But um, clearly, um, people out there are, are far more sensible than we gave them credit for because they all sent back very sensible psoriatic arthritis questions because that was what we'd asked for. Um, and so we went ahead and, and ran the survey online. And I think while we were doing that initial process of the surveys, obviously that was easy to take online because that's usually done online. Um, but then obviously the James Lind Alliance, probably behind the scenes from our point of view, we're trying to work out how to run the rest of the process online, in particular, the sort of big face-to-face -face workshops that used to be held in person. You mentioned having lots of people involved as well. So you had healthcare providers then. Did you have a lot of people with psoriatic arthritis patients? Yeah, so we were about 50-50 um, on the steering committee um, of uh, professionals involved in caring for people with psoriatic arthritis, um, some of whom were researchers like myself, some of whom were 
um, normal, in inverted commas, uh, NHS clinicians who cared for people. Um, we had a mixture of people from different backgrounds, um, so medics, but also allied health professionals. And then, as I mentioned, we'd got a strong partnership with Psoriasis Association and PAPA. So we had representation from both of those groups and additional patient reps who came onto our steering committee. So we were always aiming to be kind of 50-50 to keep that balance um, and to have strong patient representation from the beginning. And how did you get people involved? Was there any kind of screening process or like an interview to tell them what they'd be getting into? So they definitely got some information. So we advertised through a lot of the patient charities. Um, we had some people who kind of heard by word of mouth and, and got involved. And obviously we were aiming just to get a variety of experiences. So we had patients who had very severe psoriatic arthritis, who'd had it for years and years and tried many, many treatments. Mm. Uh, we had patients with quite mild psoriatic arthritis at completely the other end of the spectrum. And then because we had the expert representation from lead people at Saras Association and PAPA, they bring with it experience from working with hundreds of patients uh, and kind of bring those voices with them, which was really useful as well. Mm, you need that range of experience, don't you, so that you get all the issues? Because I think your view on things changes as you work through having the disease over a period of time, doesn't yeah. it? And what you're worried about in the beginning is necessarily not what you're worried about 10 years later. So, yeah, that's good. Good to know you had a broad sort of range of people involved. Let's talk about the actual the group then and how they operated. So we talked about pre-pandemic, it was all meetings. How did you how did you transfer things in online when, once we had the pandemic and lockdowns? Yeah, so I think like everything else in the world, we just turned to um online conferencing um and met up uh, using those systems. And actually that worked really, really well. I think it it meant throughout difficult periods in the pandemic, obviously when people couldn't travel or were under different pressures at work uh, or at home, um, with schools being closed and things, it meant people could just dial in from home and be flexible. Um, we had regular steering committee meetings throughout to decide uh, when to launch the service, well, obviously to design the service initially, to decide when to launch around the kind of COVID uh, crisis, um, to monitor what was happening through as the surveys were open, whether we were getting responses, who we were getting responses from, um, and then to bring that data together. Uh, and then as a steering committee, we looked at all of those questions that came in and um, looked at the evidence behind it with Louise's help on the evidence check uh, and created the second survey to then get the prioritisation data. So Louise, can you tell us a little more about that evidence checking that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so, so as Laura was explaining, we'd run the first survey online and that was, um, we had over 300 people that participated. Um, I think about 80% of them were actually patients or, or carers of people with psoriatic arthritis. And from that survey, we had nearly a thousand questions that people had, had raised that, that were important to them. The first step, Laura and I met and we went through all of the questions. If any of them were kind of the same question, we took them out. Um, and then anything else we, we kept in. And my job was then to look at all the research that's been done in psoriatic arthritis 
and see if there had already been research studies done that answered the questions that people were asking us. We, we found with the, the questions, so the thousand questions that people had asked, about 140 of them weren't, weren't related to the, the, the PSP, so they, they were removed, and then everything else was relevant and it was a, a really nice way of working because I kind of found all the evidence and what what was out there in these type of studies called systematic reviews so they're big studies that pull together research and say do we know the answer to this so we've, we found a lot of those um, and then with the steering committee we we all went through and checked did the systematic reviews answer the, the questions that people were asking and what we found that there were a lot of questions that were either just not answered at all, the research hadn't been done, or it maybe answered a little bit of the questions that we were being asked, but certainly none of the questions that were being asked were ever fully answered. So we took them all then through to the second second survey. That sounds like loads of work. Was it hours and hours of work, Louise? Yeah, it was quite a lot of work and um, <laughs> it's quite a complex process to do. Mm. It, it's really rewarding and it's really nice to know that the things that are being asked are things that we can hopefully help them now research in the future. Mm. As we come to talking about, you know, what, what, what did we achieve? It means that the, the questions that are being asked are not only important to people, either caring for people with psoriatic arthritis or living with the condition, but also we know that we're going to be researching the, the right things that still need to be known. Mm. So, so how often were the steering group and, you know, what kinds of activities did everyone get involved with along the way, sort of throughout the life of the project? Was it quite a lot of time or quite a commitment for people? Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's definitely a commitment. The time varies over the, the whole sort of 18 month process. Um, there can be times when all you need to do is come along and to an hour steering group meeting that happen on a monthly basis, maybe review a few things before and after. But then there are other times where uh, people are working together in groups to, to um, draft summary questions based on the original questions from the first survey that takes up uh, more time. Also, the time in terms of disseminating and, and telling people about the, the project. During the first and the second survey, Louise provided really um, visual um, and important updates on who's responding to this and which groups of people we need to uh, really try and, and up the numbers on. Um, and so calling on, on their, the steering group members' efforts to do that also takes up a bit of time. So it's, it's definitely a commitment, but I think I'm pretty certain everyone at the end of it felt it was a really good use of their, their time over that period. Why do you think you'll go forward with this? My personal opinion is that sometimes the remote or the ability to connect remotely actually works out quite well for someone with a chronic condition because it, it's such less of a burden to, you know, if you don't have to travel and stuff. So do you think with James Lind going forward, you would do face to face again or remote or hybrid? So in terms of, I guess, what what the process has learned from the pandemic is is absolutely the value of, of online uh, and video conferencing, particularly for the more routine um, uh, process matters. But it's interesting that we are looking at running our first face-to-face -face final workshop because that is a part in the, of the process where having those um, conversations that you can't have, the kind of individual, um, you know, coffee break, lunch break before you get started conversations 
um, are, are just really helpful to kind of ease people in and understand people's rationale for why one priority is, is greater than another. So I think um, during the process, we'll absolutely use virtual more, but at the end, if it's suitable for the participants, mm -hmm. then having face-to-face -face is, is still the, the best approach for that final all-important discussion. So you get a nice balance, really, don't you? And actually, the people involved get choices, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. So after all that checking, what, what was the next step in the process? After the evidence check, um, we then created, um, from all of the like nearly a thousand questions that I was mentioning, we'd put them all together and created some overarching summary questions. So we got it to reflect the questions that people were asking and things that were important, but we narrowed it down to 46 questions. We knew all of the 46 questions that we called indicative questions hadn't been answered by research. So what we did is we put all of the 46 questions into an, an online survey that we called survey number two. And in survey number two, what we asked people to do was rank the, the top 10 questions that were most important to them. So the people, it, it was a combination again of patients, carers, friends, anybody who knew somebody with psoriatic arthritis and healthcare professionals treating people with psoriatic arthritis that participated in survey two. In survey two, we, we had 422 people that responded um, and all ranked the quest, their, their top 10 questions that were important to them. We ran survey two that ran between April and June 2021. At that stage, we'd already planned our, our final workshop that was online because we were still in the pandemic and we knew that was going to be in the July of 2021. So whilst survey two was open, I was busily recruiting people that would be interested in participating in the final online workshop. And then soon after the, the second survey closed, Susanna, Laura and I met to go through the, the final ranking, so the people, how they'd voted for the top 10, so that we could decide what questions we would take through to the, the final workshop. The questions taken forwards to the final workshop, we took 18 questions, and the way we took the questions through to the final workshop was looking at what, what questions have been most important to, to patients and carers and people living with psoriatic arthritis, but also the top 10 that were important to the healthcare professionals because they weren't necessarily the same things. Mm -hmm. Also, we looked at if there'd been smaller groups of people voting that we wanted to try and represent their voice as well so that it wasn't just the larger groups that got their questions taken forward so between the three of us we met and went through the rankings and then we could take through a balanced group of questions to the final workshop on the the final workshop we ran online so it was all on zoom and that was in july 2021 and we had 24 people that came to be involved with the final workshop. Um, Susanna led it, and she'll maybe say a little bit about that in a moment. And we also had um, three other James Lind Alliance advisors that were, were helping run the day. Laura was there, I was there. And the, the, the 24 people that came, we actually, we'd invited equal numbers of people living with psoriatic arthritis and healthcare professionals, the kind of way it worked out in the end is a few people couldn't attend. So we actually had slightly more patients, carers and um, people living with psoriatic arthritis and we had healthcare professionals. We found the final workshop, it, well, I thought it, it ran really well. It was a really 
nice relaxed environment I think luckily because we were doing it well into the pandemic people were quite um confident and settled using zoom I'd offered everybody a chance to have a practice run before if they were worried about the technology um, and we did that for one person and that that worked well but yeah we, we were able to have um really good relaxed discussion so everybody got a chance to say what was important to them and we broke off into small groups so that it wasn't just a, a big screen of people where nobody got the opportunity to speak mm. and then at the end of the final workshop we were we all came to an agreement on what we felt should be the final top 10 and that's what we've now disseminated and then we'll be publishing to to everybody to say what what research priorities are most important for psoriatic arthritis Mm. So there's a lot of narrowing down throughout the whole process, but in a very fair way, sort of taking on board everybody's thoughts and needs and comments. I think that's it sounds really good. So Susanna, tell us a bit more about this final workshop. So so the, as we've already heard, traditionally pre-pandemic, they always have taken place face to face. So I guess we were lucky that we had a couple of PSPs. If you kind of think about planes coming into land, they were they were on approaching the runway ahead of us. And so thankfully they kind of weathered the storm of, of the pandemic and, and produced the kind of wealth of um, materials and, and changes to the process that we needed to make to translate a face-to-face uh, event into something that worked and I think worked really well based on the feedback we got um, to making it work online so having slightly shorter discussion sessions um, giving people uh, upfront materials so for example we sent them uh, all of the uh, questions but in a cutout form so people could sit in front of the screen and move the questions around as they were being prioritized themselves so to make it much more to make it as participative and, and involving as possible, bearing in mind people are sat in their front rooms doing it on their own. Um, another touch that, that I think Louise and Laura should should mention is the fact that we were the first PSP to send biscuits and tea beforehand. And so <laughs> people loved that. And I think that sense of community, that sense of we're coming together, we're doing something really important. And just that little gesture um, set the standard for a lot a lot of the future online PSPs. Um, oh, it's really a really warm yeah. sort of welcoming thing to do, isn't it? That's nice. Yeah, it brings the human touch that is so important to, to that yeah. process. In a way that we couldn't at the time because we couldn't meet. Exactly. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So can we talk about the outcomes of the projects? You've done all this, you know, we got to the point where you've got your final sort of set of questions. What kinds of things came up in that final set of questions can we run through those and maybe talk about how they're disseminated we were really pleased that we ended up with the, with the top 10 and um i know you're going to provide some web links so i'd really encourage anyone who's listening to to look at the top 10 you can read through them in detail and a lot more of the, the work that we did on the, the james lind alliance website also you might want to look at the Britpack website that tells you a bit more about what we were doing but in terms of what what got voted what were the top 10 that the number one question that people asked is what is the best strategy for managing patients with psoriatic arthritis including non-drug and drug treatments mm -hmm. and this was really important to 
catered to both um, people living with psoriatic arthritis and, and the people looking after them, so the healthcare professionals. So it's quite a broad question. So it includes most type of treatments. There's nothing really it excludes. But what it does say is that we don't know what, what is the best way of looking after people, whether that's with, with drugs or without drugs, and looking at things like physiotherapy or occupational therapy or psychological intervention. So there's a whole lot of research that could be done around that. And hopefully one day we might be able to look at a package and say, well, actually, these components are really important. Mm. Um, second on the list, we looked, we, we'd voted for what factors affect how psoriatic arthritis will progress the likely severity of the disease in an individual and whether it will go into remission. So that's looking at how, how do we know? What, how can we predict and help people understand what might happen to them? Number three was, can we develop a test that would predict whether a person has psoriatic arthritis? So is there something more accurate, particularly early on, that would tell us whether somebody has psoriatic arthritis because a lot of the people that we were talking to felt their diagnosis had taken a really long time to come about even years that was quite a common story but also people were keen to understand if they may be at risk of developing psoriatic arthritis in the future so people that maybe had a family member or knew somebody with it were they somebody who who may be at risk of actually going on to develop psoriatic arthritis question four looked at whether someone who has psoriatic arthritis, so they've been diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis, are they going to be at more risk of getting other health problems? And if they are, which, which ones? Why does that happen? Um, so number five, does treating psoriatic arthritis early reduce the severity of the disease? And if you do, would it be more likely to go into remission? So people were particularly keen to understand about treatment. Um, and, and this question is very much about if we treat you early, would that make it more likely to go away or be less severe? Or does it have no impact on that at all? Mm. People listening are going to relate to all of these questions themselves as well. Um, it's really interesting. So it's ten, isn't there in total? Yeah. We had so we had forty six, like I say, in total. And getting to ten was hard, but there were there were everyone was really passionate about these top tens. Not to say that the the other questions from the list of forty six aren't important. We've we've kept all of those, and we've also got the um, the list of the, the questions that we took the the full questions that we took through to the final workshop. And yeah, if if you're interested, please look at the the website. I'll put some links in, in the end in the show notes, like I said, and um, maybe some websites as well that people can go and find the whole list. So hopefully having this top 10 research priorities will help people, will help them because it, it sounds like they want, you know, a holistic approach. They want more than just meds. They want to know what else is out there that will help them. And lots of things in there that I've heard people were, you know, concerned about things like, well, what causes my flower? I didn't do anything, you know, and it's, there's all these unknowns. So I can see where a lot of these questions have come from as well. So what kinds of dissemination has been carried out so far? Because obviously we're doing this podcast to try and help raise awareness about the research top 10, get them out there, get people, you know, involved in these processes in future. And what's actually been done with the dissemination from the perspective of the steering group so far? 
so obviously we had our final workshop uh, just before the summer last year and we launched the top 10 uh, digitally uh, in keeping with our digital steering committee experience I think um, in August and then uh, we have an annual uh, BritPact meeting in November so this was presented to all of our members uh, and we did a, a kind of second launch uh, with a lot of information on Twitter and social media around that time. Uh, we've also been presenting at scientific conferences so it was presented at one of the dermatology conferences towards the end of last year uh, and it's going to be presented in rheumatology conferences uh, this spring uh, so we'll be sharing it with other uh, rheumatologists with allied health professionals and other researchers so that the, they see those top 10 uh, and beyond the abstracts that we're presenting at meetings we're then writing up full scientific papers that will be published in the rheumatology journals to, to share that with rheumatologists worldwide uh, and people working with uh, people with psoriatic arthritis and um, we've got it on our BritPact website uh, we've been promoting it through all of our partnerships. So we have partnerships with a lot of patient organisations and charities across the UK and beyond who've been helping to promote this. And I think the important thing with the James Lind is obviously that we get these questions out there so researchers can, can focus their research appropriately, but also the links that these James Lind priority setting partnerships have with funders. Uh, so Susanna mentioned the link with National Institute of Health Research or NHR in the UK, and they fund a lot of research work that we do here in the UK in terms of clinical questions. So when we're applying for research funding to do new studies, we can quote these top 10 uh, and say that our research is focused on a particular priority that was identified by these top 10. Uh, and in fact, um, some funding streams within the NIHR and from Psoriasis Association and others will have specific questions in the grant application saying, well, does this relate to a top 10 or specific calls where you can apply for funding only if there has been a James Lynn PSP and if your question addresses one of those issues. So it's a really good way not only of influencing researchers in what we should be researching, uh, but influencing funders in what they should fund. The, the dissemination goes on and on, doesn't it, for, for a long time, and it'll keep getting pulled into things, and it's really good. How, how long does a top 10 last? Does it get done again in a few years, or...? That's a really, that's a really good question, and, and you would... So... I guess in the life cycle of, of the JLA, now that it's sort of uh, over 10 years old, uh, a couple of PSPs are refreshing um, their top 10. That doesn't mean that they're chucking everything out and starting again, that they are literally saying, which of these are still relevant? Are there others that we should, so, that, so they call it as a refresh process, if you like. So cystic fibrosis is one PSP that's going through exactly that process at, at the moment. But you're absolutely right. The legacy goes beyond months mm. into years, for sure. And we're seeing um, PSPs five, six, seven years on still generating uh, research studies uh, off the back of them. Um, so it's a it's a long process. So Laura and Louise, uh, this isn't just for Christmas. This is <laughs> this, <laughs> this is, is a life. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
as you heard in those questions from that Louise was highlighting there, they're quite broad questions. Mm. So a lot of the research projects that we're currently doing fit under these um, top 10, which is great for us um, to, in terms of validation that we're researching the right thing. Um, but they're not going to answer that question. Um, you know, one study doesn't answer a question about what's the best way to predict psoriatic arthritis. You need all sorts of studies to do that. So I can very much see that in 10 years time, there might be new questions that have popped up or, or some of those questions may have been partially answered. But I think within the time that I've been researching in psoriatic arthritis, actually, we've generated more and more questions as we've learned more about the disease uh, and we've had more drugs and treatments available to us then you need to know, well, how do you use the drugs we've got and what order do you, do you use them in and who responds best to the best treatment? And so there's more and more questions come through um, as we move forward. And I could see these questions potentially being just as relevant when I retire as they are now. <laughs> so you'll be on it for life then, Laura. I, I think this is me sorted, yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> so much in there, isn't there? So much in there that you could take a yeah, absolutely. To. Yeah. But it's a really good start and it's been done in a really fair way involving lots of different parties. And that's a really, you know, it's a really good result to have something like the top 10 to, to drive that forward. Because there was nothing before, was there? It was a bit ad hoc, yeah. random. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, it's a really good process. Was it smooth? Do you think it went smoothly? You had, you had the all, lots of little hiccups with the pandemic, I know, but it sounds like everything was switched over quite smoothly and everyone was still really comfortable What's yeah, your I think you did run well, um, and, and I don't say that about all of my projects, um, particularly <laughs> not over the last couple of years. Um, COVID has been a real challenge, but um, I think it was lovely that we got one meeting face-to-face -face right at the beginning for most of us, even though that was before Louise started. So um, a lot of people involved had met before, did know each other, but it was lovely to have that chance to meet face-to-face -face at least once. Um I think switching to online worked really well for the meetings throughout. And as Susanna said, we were really lucky that we weren't the first one testing that final workshop online. So the expertise that the JLA advisors came with, um, Susanna and colleagues who came to that final workshop, really meant that, that they had a, a kind of proven process they knew what they were doing. They could translate that into working online. And we had really positive feedback from people who attended that, who felt that everybody got a chance to contribute and everybody was heard and listened to. And we came out with that top 10. I think it would have been lovely to have a final kind of get together. Um, we had that in part at the BritPact meeting in November. So that was a hybrid meeting. Um, it was the first face-to-face -face work meeting I had been to, um, so it was quite exciting. Yeah. Uh, and we did invite all of our committee members to come on that day, and some did attend virtually or had to attend virtually, but, but a lot managed to come in person, and it was great to have people together mm. there and kind of have a bit of an, an end to that uh, process and mm. uh, meet up again at the end. Absolutely. Um, I'll do a follow-up podcast to this one with some of those experiences from different perspectives brought into it as well because I think it's really important for people to understand the experience of it because they may or may not want to get involved in these things in future okie dokie well, that was all really interesting to hear and I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today to, to tell us about it thank you so much
Thanks Thank you so very much. much for having us. Thanks, Mel. Thanks again to Susanna, Laura and Louise for coming onto the show and explaining the James Lynn Priority Setting Partnership process and helping to disseminate the top 10 priorities for psoriatic arthritis research. As mentioned, I will be posting some follow-up podcasts with other members of the team to share their experiences and motivations to take part and their thoughts about having been part of it all and what they got out of it and learned from it themselves please do check out the links in the show notes. And I want to say thank you to Britpat for sponsorship for this whole series of podcasts. If you would like to sponsor a future episode of the PSAHQ podcast, please do get in touch. All my links are in the show notes too, or you can simply search for PSAHQ online. I hope you'll join me again.